Good afternoon, and welcome to the OSHA 3030 with Manish Rath. Manish Rath could not be here with us today, so David Sarvati and I will be covering today's um, OSHA 3030 in his absence. So thank you for joining us for today's program, where we will be discussing recent criminal prosecutions of Occupational Safety and Health Act violations. There have been a few recent state and federal criminal prosecutions of OSHA Act violations that have been all over the news, so this is certainly an important topic uh, for employers to be aware of. Uh, so real quickly, um, if you look at the screen, we have the conference number and the access code, so you can dial in those numbers so you can listen along as we go through the program. Uh, so to begin, let me introduce David Sarvati. Many of you know David because he has presented at many previous OSHA 3030s. OSHA is a, is a uh, renowned national expert on OSHA law, so we're very lucky to have him today. So David, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Javanae. Great, and um, I'm Javanae Nakumaram. I'm an associate in Keller and Heckman's OSHA law practice, and I have participated in a few of the OSHA 3030s in the past with Monish. As you all know, we have a, a library of previous OSHA 30, 3030s at www.khlaw.com slash OSHA 3030. And um, if you go to that website, you can look at our catalog of OSHA 3030s that go back for a number of years. And um, you, can, you can watch the presentations and you can also download the podcast for our program on any of your favorite podcast streaming services, whether it's um, Apple or iTunes. So with that said, let's get to today's topic, which is uh, criminal recent criminal prosecutions under the OSH Act. So we'll start by giving some background on OSH Act criminal violations. Uh, we'll also talk about other federal criminal statutes that uh, are often used uh, to uh, prosecute uh, OSHA-related violations. We will also talk about uh, state, criminal, uh, state, state criminal statutes that focus on occupational safety and health-related violations. Uh, we'll, we'll give uh, some recent examples of criminal prosecutions at the federal and the state level involving OSHA violations. And then, as always, we'll go over what employers should do. And so, David, let's get started. Hey, Javanae. <clears throat> let's, uh, excuse me. So first, um, I um, want to add, Javanae, yeah, I'd like ahead, to add David. one thing. We're going to talk about not just uh, state OSHA uh, violations, but also state criminal statutes that come into play in uh, industrial and occupational accidents and illnesses. Go ahead, Javanae. Right, that's right, David. So let's start with a little bit of background about the OSH Act. So Congress enacted uh, the OSH Act as a civil statute that assigns monetary penalties for violations. So the idea was that uh, the potentially high penalties that would deter employers from violating OSHA standards and regulations, um, it would get employers to quickly abate hazards and um, it would get them to uh, comply with uh, OSHA standards and regulations. And so these high penalties were deterrents. So, however, uh, there are certain circumstances where an employer's violation may be so egregious that criminal penalties are the appropriate, uh, the appropriate punishment. So, so these criminal violations are spelled out in the OSHA Act itself, which we'll cover. Uh, if OSHA cites a company 
for OSHA violations. This, uh, depending on the circumstances, OSHA can refer matters for criminal investigation to either the Department of Justice or to state prosecutors. Uh, much more often we see state prosecutions uh, rather than federal prosecutions for OSHA violations. The DOJ has historically taken on very few referrals from OSHA, uh, but there are many reasons for this, mostly due to constrained resources and uh, competing priorities. And uh, OSHA criminal violations, they are only misdemeanors, and so federal prosecutors often have to devote their resources to cases with uh, more serious criminal penalties. So, so there are a number of reasons for this. Uh, so again, we, we mostly see uh, prosecution of OSHA-related violations in the state arena. So David, uh, would you agree that if you look at the statutory scheme, the OSH Act is, is more of a civil enforcement scheme and so that it's states that mostly do the criminal prosecutions for OSHA violations? Yes, I, I would agree with that, Jeff. And I, uh, the OSHA statute, like many federal statutes, rely on our uh, citizens to comply with the law voluntarily. And the uh, civil penalties are intended to provide the incentive to uh, uh, get people to follow the rules and the standards that are applied. Uh, in, initially, the uh, penalties were on the order of $1,000 for a serious, viol uh, uh, serious violation and $10,000 for willful or repeat violations. But in the uh, 1990s, uh, those were changed to 7,000 and 70,000, and then again updated a few years ago to the point right. now where a serious violation runs about $13,000 as a starting point and uh, roughly 130,000 for willful or repeat violations. So Javanay, there's pretty significant incentive for people to comply from a financial standpoint. Absolutely. So let's go over what what the OSH Act itself uh, prescribes as criminal violations. These are all under Section 17 of the statute. So again, there are specific circumstances in which OSHA can refer a case for criminal prosecution. So uh, the first is under Section 17F, um, any person who gives advance notice of an inspection under the Act without authority from OSHA can face a punishment of a fine of up to $1,000 or up to six months imprisonment or both. Um, Section 17G deals with false statements. Um, so the, uh, the provision says that whoever knowingly makes a false statement, representation, or certification in any application, record, plan, report, et cetera, uh, filed or required to be maintained under the OSH Act can face up to uh, a fine of $10,000 or up to six months imprisonment or both. And now 17E, uh, any employer who willfully violates any OSHA standard uh, and that violation results or it causes the death of an employee, then the employer can be punished by a fine of up to $10,000 or up to six months imprisonment or both. Now I'll note about this particular 17E, um, the Sentencing Reform Act, which uh, standardized penalties and sentences for federal offenses, it increased the penalties from $10,000 to $250,000 for individuals and $500,000 for organizations. So, so uh, for 17E, I think it's important to understand what a willful violation is. Uh, a willful violation is one that is done with intentional, knowing, or voluntary disregard 
for the for the standard or with plain indifference uh, to the employee's safety. So we should clarify that the person does not have to intend to kill the employee. Rather, the intent is about intend, uh, intending to disregard the OSHA requirements or being plainly indifferent to them. Um, and then it, this disregard of the standard caused the employee's death. And then finally, uh, Section 17H2, uh, whoever uh, murders a government officer or, or an employee while doing investigative inspection or law enforcement functions, and so this would include an OSHA inspector, they'll be punished by imprisonment for any term of years or for life. So now that we've laid out the OSH Act uh, criminal violations, David, I think it'd be helpful to explain who can be subject to these criminal penalties. Right, Javanay, that's uh, definitely an important issue. Uh, the OSHA Act applies to employers and therefore only people who are uh, classified as employers are subject to these criminal penalties. That means the entity, a corporation or a partnership might become uh, a liable for an OSHA violation, but um, the individuals who are managers or supervisors in corporations uh, typically are not uh, subject to OSHA uh, criminal penalties because they're not defined as the employer. The uh, more common situation occurs where a, a small company is owned by one or several persons or in the case of a partnership where the individuals personally are liable for the actions of the partnership. In those cases, the individuals could become subject to uh, prosecution under the OSHA Act. But remember, this is at the federal level and only involves the OSHA violations. Javanay, I think we're going to talk about state prosecutions Correct. as well in just a few minutes, which is a more expansive uh, potential liability. Absolutely. So beyond the, beyond the OSH Act prescribed criminal violations, the U.S. Code provides for felony penalties for, uh, for perjury and false statements. So, and so these are other tools that prosecutor, uh, federal prosecutors could use um, in situations where um, a, an employee or a supervisor uh, of a company makes false statements or perjures themselves before an OSHA investigator or an OSHA inspector. So under 18 U.S.C. Uh, 1001 for false statements, uh, this, this says that felony penalties for knowingly and willfully making false statements in any matter within the jurisdiction of the U.S. government can result in a fine and then up to five years imprisonment. And then perjury, um, this is for uh, persons who willfully subscribe as true any material matter which the person does not believe to be true under oath. So, and so this also could result in um, a five-year uh, imprisonment term. So unlike 17G of the OSH Act, if someone lies to an OSHA inspector or investigator, prosecutors can prosecute not only uh, the owners, but also employees, supervisors, and so they're, they're not limited here who can be prosecuted for making a false statement or perjuring themselves. Um, so federal prosecutors have these statutes they can use in order to hold people accountable who lie to OSHA inspectors or, in, or, um, or personnel in the course of an investigation. So David, it seems like this is, a, this is an important tool for prosecutors to use because these violations go to the core of the validity of the OSHA inspection process. 
Right. And, Javanay, what we've seen in these examples that we've been looking at here are the intent of Congress to protect the system that they've created. And so more often what we see prosecutors pursuing, as you say, are those kinds of behaviors that threaten the integrity of the OSHA process and OSHA inspection system. We also should probably define for the non-lawyers in the room uh, the difference between a felony and a misdemeanor. And generally, mm -hmm. a misdemeanor is a, a violation that can be punished only by a term in jail of up to uh, and less than one year. If it's one year or more, it becomes a felony, and there are far more serious consequences associated with that kind of a mm -hmm. prosecution than uh, with the, the misdemeanors. But right. bear in mind, there is one provision in the OSHA statute that results in a felony, potential felony prosecution, and that's the pr provision protecting the persons of the inspectors that, from uh, uh, harm by people who are uh, opposing their uh, willful, lawful duties. That's correct. Chabonet? Yeah, that's correct. That's important to clarify. Um, so... Now moving on to state prosecutions, as we mentioned, uh, states also play a role in criminal enforcement. A company may be prosecuted uh, under both the federal OSHA Act and state law, and that's because the federal and state governments are separate sovereigns, and so the state and the federal government may prosecute for violations under their own laws. Uh, the OSHA Act does not preempt state criminal laws that affect uh, occupational safety and health, so, so the state can uh, the state laws can include such crimes as criminal conspiracy, rec reckless endangerment, criminal assault, negligence, manslaughter, and murder. So if a company receives a, a civil penalty from OSHA and then is prosecuted uh, for that same violation, this is not considered double jeopardy because administrative sanctions, uh, they don't pose a double jeopardy threat to a later criminal prosecution. And we just want to highlight two different state schemes that uh, that have their own criminal laws for OSHA violations. And so in New York, uh, New York basically enforces general criminal laws in OSHA cases. So for example, there was a 2017 case involving a wall collapse at a construction site killing a worker. Uh, the employer in that case was charged with second degree manslaughter criminally negligent homicide, secondary degree reckless endangerment and assault. And so um, this, again, this is just an example of the different types of state laws that can be used um, to prosecute people who violate um, OSHA standards. And then California actually has a Bureau of Investigation that's required to investigate every workplace fatality or incident that seriously, injure, uh, that seriously injures five or more employees. So, and they have to determine whether to refer that matter for criminal prosecution. So in California, there's if there's a fatality on the job site, uh, don't be surprised if local investigators show up. California also has a distinct provision in the Labor Code criminalizing violations of the OSH Act, and it, it basically says that an employer and any employee having direction, management, control, or custody of uh, any employment or any other employee uh, who willfully violates an OSHA standard and that violation uh, causes a death or a prolonged bodily impairment uh, to an employee, it's punishable by up to one year in prison um, or by a fine of up to $100,000. And if the defendant is a corporation, then the fine can be as high as $1.5 million. 
So, David, how do you think the California's criminal statutory scheme uh, for OSHA violations compares to most other states? Well, Javin, I think it's probably far more extensive than in other states. Most of the time in the other states, what we're going to see is not in a, a prosecution for a violation of the OSHA regulation or standard, but to take the evidence of an OSHA violation uh, showing the employer's behavior and the fact that they knew about the uh, in dangerous situation and then uh, taking into account the steps that they took to mitigate those circumstances, those facts will be used by local prosecutors in making a decision on whether to pursue the prosecution and then finally to use to prove the elements of the case that the prosecutors are attempting to prove. So it's not exactly prosecution for OSHA violations, but definitely the OSHA violations and more like more accurately the circumstances leading to OSHA violations can also lead to state and local prosecutors taking an interest in the case and pursuing mm -hmm. it, particularly when there are uh, egregious or, or uh, widely known or publicized uh, incidents. And we're seeing that, uh, we saw that a couple of months ago down in, in Texas where there have been a number of prosecutions that arose out of the flooding that was associated with Hurricane Harvey and those mm -hmm. cases are still working their way through the, the courts in Texas. Uh, in, interestingly, in uh, New York, uh, New York does pursue these cases again, uh, where for violations of New York state law, taking into account the uh, circumstances of the OSHA standards. At, sometimes the OSHA standards are pointed to by prosecutors as a standard of care. That mm -hmm. Whether or not the court accepts that varies state by state. So. There aren't any real hard and fast rules about that, except to say that uh, the OSHA standards should be looked at as a floor of acceptable performance in the civil context under o the OSHA statute and as a guide to acceptable conduct under the criminal statutes and state laws. Mm -hmm. Javanet, I think the, the, uh, we've got some examples we can talk about with now with the criminal state criminal laws. Right. Well, so... With that background, I think it's helpful to dive into a few recent um, examples of criminal prosecutions, and we'll start with uh, two examples of federal prosecutions, and then we'll cover uh, a couple of state examples. So, so the the first case we'll discuss is a case that made a lot of news back in 2017. Uh, it involved DNRB uh, doing business as Fast Track Erectors. Uh, who is a subcontractor in the construction of a 300,000 square foot distribution warehouse in Kansas City? So this uh, and this company, um, they had an employee uh, access the top of a building from a scissor lift and walk approximately 15 feet along a steel beam without wearing fall protection. As you can see in that photo, what, a picture of what the beam looks like. Uh, so because this employee was not wearing fall protection. He fell, he fell about 30 feet and unfortunately died. So the DOJ prosecuted this case in Missouri, and the company was found guilty of willfully violating OSHA's fall protection standard. And uh, that, willful, uh, that willful disregard of the standard uh, caused the death of the employee. So apparently the company was aware of the violation and willfully ignored it. Uh, the, uh, two of the foremen uh, who were supervising everyone were told or questioned about the lack of fall protection and they observed employees not using it, and yet they did not do anything. 
so uh, the, this, uh, this knowledge from the foreman can be imputed to the employer. So the company was fined uh, $500,000, uh, and this criminal penalty was affirmed by the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. So, so this is an example, a typical 17E example of an OSH Act violation. Um, and then the next one we wanted to cover was something that happened just earlier this year. Uh, this involved the criminal prosecution of a safety trainer uh, who falsified OSHA 10 training cards. So in this case, um, an OSHA certified training agent in New Jersey sold more than 100 fraudulent training cards. Uh, he was certified by OSHA's outreach training uh, program through OSHA's training organization at Rutgers University. So under this program, uh, it requires trainers to sign a, a statement of compliance, which uh, certifies under criminal penalties that he would uh, ensure that the requirements of the, and the procedures of the outreach program were followed. Uh, and he was also required to file training reports for the alleged training sessions that he held. So he filed false training reports saying that students attended uh, his OSHA 10-hour classes when they had not. Uh, and he falsely reported attendance so that he was paid $200 per student uh, for a false OSHA certification card. So the U.S. Uh, State's Attorney's Office for the District of New Jersey charged the trainer with falsifying OSHA dark documents. Um, and this, uh, this is a violation we discussed earlier of uh, uh, 18 U.S.C. 1001, where it's a crime to knowingly and willfully make material false statements and documents and representations. So the trainer did this by making false OSHA outreach training reports and violating the statement of compliance. So, so the trainer has pled guilty in this case, um, and his sentencing is scheduled for July 2nd. And he could face uh, a potential fine of $250,000 and potentially a five-year uh, five term in prison. So this is an example of uh, prosecutors using the false statements provision to prosecute an OSHA-related crime. And we have a similar, uh, a similar example here. Uh, it's another example from earlier this year, uh, U.S. v. Riley. In this case, the owner and operator of RSR Construction, who was the general contractor of a horse stable repair project, uh, was charged by federal prosecutors for allegedly lying under oath in an OSHA investigation. And so in this case, um, the company had cited, was cited by OSHA for willful violations of uh, OSHA's fall protection standard. This is because um, two employees fell to, uh, there were two separate in incidents where, employee, where an employee fell through a skylight. So one employee fell through a skylight and then two months later another employee fell through the same skylight. So the owner allegedly uh, falsely told federal investigators that he never authorized the workers to do roof repairs, but then his own text messages showed that he, uh, he had told the workers to do the roof repairs. And these employees did not have proper training or safety equipment to work on the roof. Uh, so a criminal complaint was filed in February this year in federal court. Uh, the important fact about this case is that the owner, is that the, the owner who was interviewed was under oath in, a, in an OSHA investigation because OSHA decided to investigate after these falls. So a special agent under the Department of Labor Office of Inspector General had taken a sworn deposition of the owner, and he allegedly lied under oath. And so this is a perjury charge, uh, which we know carries a penalty of, five, of potentially five years in prison and a $250,000 fine. So again, both these cases emphasize the importance of, um, well, of what types of penalties can be assessed um, and prosecuted 
when it involves making false statements or perjuring yourself before a federal um, OSHA investigator or inspector. Um, and then lastly, we'll, we'll talk about just a couple state uh, prosecutions of OSHA-related violations. Um, the first one is the Commonwealth v. Atlantic Drain Services. So in this case, two employees of Atlantic Drain Services uh, tragically fell, uh, tragically died in a trench collapse in Massachusetts. So the employees were working in an unsecured trench when it collapsed, and uh, a subterranean pipe feeding a fire hydrant uh, broke loose and it flooded the trench. And so unfortunately, these employees died. Um, OSHA proposed over a million dollars in penalties for various OSHA violations relating to hazards, uh, cave-in hazards. Uh, but the state also decided to prosecute. Uh, the owner of the company has been indicted with two counts of manslaughter and then several counts relating to uh, misleading uh, investigators and concealing records under the state's evidence tampering statutes. So the prosecutors alleged that the owner willfully and recklessly ignored the trench hazards and the company had a history of similar violations for failure to secure trenches. So, so the owner faces up to 20 years in prison for each manslaughter count. So, um, he has pled not guilty in this case and this case is still pending. Uh, but again, this is an example of the state laws that can be that can be um, used to um, to address OSHA-related violations, and in this case, um, where uh, there were deaths of employees. And then the last case we'll highlight is um, uh, this is a fairly recent case involving uh, Purvis Home Improvement, which is a company in Portland, Maine. Uh, so in this case, a worker fell from a three-story apartment building where he was working on a roof um, and died because he was not wearing fall protection. Uh, this worker was a subcontractor of Purvis Home Improvement, and he was actually uh, the, the, the brother of the company's owner. So the indictment says that the owner had directed and uh, had personal management or control over the project where the worker uh, died. So OSHA cited this company four or five times in the past, uh, in the past seven years, for allowing roofers to not wear fall protection. So this was certainly a repeat issue. Um, and they, in this case, the, uh, the owner is arguing that he can't force independent contractors to comply with OSHA standards. And so that's his uh, defense for, for these allegations. So um, if the owner is convicted of workplace manslaughter, um, he could face up to five years in prison um, under Maine's uh, criminal statute. So uh, if he's convicted of manslaughter, he could face 30, up to 30 years in prison. Uh, so this, the status of this case is still pending, but again, this is another example where a state is using its own um, manslaughter laws to prosecute someone for the death of, a, of an employee, or in this case, an independent contractor. Um, David, did you have anything else to add for this case? Nope. Uh, I guess the only thing uh, that bothers me about the case is that it is an example of cases where we have facts that really kind of tug at the heartstrings because the, the mm -hmm. person who died was a relative of the uh, owner of the company. And obviously, um, at least in my experience, uh, whenever there's a, a serious injury or accident or a fatality at a, look, at a facility and in a company, it's a very serious, has a very serious effect on everybody who's involved and there are long-term uh, consequences uh, in the cases that I've had uh, I've seen the effects on the uh, supervisors and management employees and not not to mention 
the other co-workers of the employees who perished, uh, having effects and suffering the effects of the trauma uh, years afterwards. So uh, it's a difficult situation, and prosecuting and the circumstances that you have in the main case, uh, it seems to me, require a careful examination by the prosecutor. But apparently they've done that and chosen to move forward. Right. So, Jim, that, maybe, maybe we should right. talk about what employers should do. Right. Overall, I think these cases illustrate the importance of understanding how the how OSHA Act violations can carry the risk of criminal prosecutions at the uh, at both the state and potentially the federal level. So, in terms of what employers should do, um, certainly following uh, if, if there are incidents involving the death of an employee or even an independent contractor. Employers should be aware that um, when OSHA comes to investigate or inspect the facility follow, following a fatality, OSHA inspectors may look for possible criminal violations. So, so uh, for example, if, there are, if there's any evidence of a willful uh, violation of a standard, then potentially that could be referred as a 17E uh, criminal violation. Um, you know, OSHA will be interested in any records following the death of an employee uh, that perhaps could um, demonstrate uh, it could demonstrate compliance with a standard or knowledge of a standard or disregard uh, for compliance of a standard. Um, OSHA inspectors may also look for possible Title 18 or other environmental related violations. And so, if OSHA comes in to in investigate after a fatality, for example. Uh, not only will they be looking for OSHA-related uh, violations, but they might look for hazardous waste-related, Clean Air Act, TSCA. Uh, they may look to other environmental statutes to see if uh, there are any violations that contributed in some way to um, the, the workplace safety issue. Um, and then, as always, if there is a fatality on, uh, if there is a fatality on the work site, um, employers must report fatalities to OSHA within eight hours. So this is part of the OSHA reporting regulations, and this is important to comply with. Um, it's also important to preserve all evidence surrounding a fatality uh, and consider ob obtaining legal counsel. Um, and then, again, whenever you are uh, being investigated by OSHA, it's important to keep in mind um, the, the potential criminal violations that OSHA may be investigating, and then um, especially involving when in making statements to OSHA uh, investigators or inspectors, it's it's important to keep in mind that, you know, there are not only OSHA Act, but other federal criminal penalties for not being truthful and not being, um, you know, honest to these inspectors. And so people need to keep those in mind um, when OSHA is coming to uh, investigate after something like that. David, do you have anything to add? Yeah, two real quick points, uh, Javanay. In addition to fatalities, remember that the OSHA reporting requirements now encompass uh, multiple uh, hospitalizations and uh, mm -hmm. overnight hospitalizations. So be familiar with those regulations as well. Yep. And amputations. And, um, yes, uh, amputations and so on. Um, I would say even beyond considering legal counsel, you definitely should involve your outside counsel or in-house counsel in any uh, serious investigation like that. Those, uh, it's very important for people to uh, understand the legal ramifications of the investigation, and for supervisors and employees always to be truthful and straightforward. 
my easy uh, counsel to people is answer the questions you're asked to the best of your ability, but don't uh, speculate or uh, offer information that uh, you're not being uh, requested. And mm -hmm. just a final note, uh, Javanay, uh, there was a case back in the 1990s involving a, a fire in a chicken processing plant. 30 people were killed as a result of the employer locking the doors uh, to the uh, facility uh, dealing with some theft that was going on. Uh, that resulted in the prosecution of the owner and his son. The owner received uh, a conviction for manslaughter and was sentenced to uh, 20 years in prison and served, I think, four and a half years before being released on parole. So these are not recent developments. It's been going on for a long time. And uh, I can expect to see more emphasis on it in the future um, as the uh, publicity surrounding uh, our, uh, industrial accidents and large-scale catastrophes continues. Jabine, thanks very much for having me. Great. So with that, um, that is our program for today. Uh, you can catch more OSHA updates on Monish's Twitter account, which is at RathMonish. Uh, you can listen to the OSHA 3030 podcast, uh, and please make sure you like or rate the podcast. So you can also find our OSHA team on LinkedIn, which includes Manish Rath, David Sarvati, Larry Halperin, uh, myself, Javine Nakumaram, and John Gustafson, and the firm's workplace uh, safety and health page. Our, uh, our next OSHA 3030 is going to be uh, at 1 p.m., like always. Um, it's going to be on July 17th. Uh, when you get your 3030 invitation in, the, in your email, please forward it along to three others in the safety and health community if you think they would benefit from our program. Um, also, we, uh, uh, for those of you impacted by TOSCA, REACH, or FIFRA, we have sister 3030 programs going on, and the next program dates are provided on the screen. So with that, thank you all for participating in this month's 3030, and thank you, David, for joining me as well. We'll see you next month, and until then, stay safe.